0: Hey everyone, Real Old Reels here with Robin and Lisa. This is our 18th episode, and we just wanted to say a sincere thanks for listening. We are just starting out, but we're getting enough listens per month that some of you who are listening are probably not immediately related to us. <laughs> and that's just <laughs> greatly appreciated. Woohoo! <laughs> Just for fun, we like to see where all our listeners are from. And besides the U.S., we can um, we can just see where listeners come from, their country, not anywhere really specific. But we have listeners- we don't have your home address. <laughs> <laughs> We're watching you. <laughs> <laughs> we have listeners from Hong Kong and Switzerland, Italy, Romania. Germany, the UK, Canada, and Japan. And that's just so awesome. We're having a really good time talking about these movies with you. And we hope you're having fun too.
1: Yeah, it's so fun to watch the audience grow. And I love to hear, I would love to hear the opinions of our listeners, especially our foreign listeners. Um, I don't know if they grew up with these movies or if this is their first time watching or or what. But if you guys have reactions, questions or suggestions for films you want to be featured, follow us at real old reels on Instagram and give us a comment or even send us a message.
0: Yeah. Back to business though. Ever since we started this podcast, I've been wondering when will we talk about The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. It's a great movie. My favorite western. I've seen it about a billion times. Tell us what this baby's about. Oh, and warning, this episode contains spoilers.
1: Yes. So the film begins with Senator Ransom Stoddard and his wife, Hallie, visiting the small town of Shinbone. A high-profile person like the senator draws a lot of curiosity, but the reason behind his visit is quickly revealed as he's attending a funeral for the local Tom Donovan. The press can't let it go at just that, and demand that Ransom tell them why he feels the need to make the trip for a nobody like Donovan.
2: Of course, this story not only concerns me, old Pompey in there, Link, they were part of it, but I suppose I'm the only one who can tell it through. I read about the old days in Shinbone and the paper's files. There was no mention oh, of a ton. You're a young man, a young man. You only know it firsthand since the railroad came through. A lot different then. A lot different before, Mister Scott. A lot different.
1: Ransom goes on to tell the tale of years earlier when he came upon the town as a victim of the stage uh, of a stagecoach holdup.
2: I'll take it any. you take your hands off! What kind of man are you? This kind, of dude. <laughs> now, what kind of
3: man are you, dude?
2: I'm an attorney at law and I'm duly licensed with the territory. And you may have us on your guns now, but I'll see you in jail for this
3: jail.
1: The le- legend of Ransom's time there is that he set up a school, became a political figure, and shot the troublemaker, Liberty Valance. While two of these things are true, Donovan, Donovan was secretly the real hero that rid the town of Liberty Valance even though it may not have been his absolute in his absolute best interest since Ransom was his main competitor for the love of his life, Hallie. Donison was the big name in Shinbone and the real hero of the story, but after losing Hallie, he nearly lost his life and slipped into the shadows. And this is while Ransom gets the girl, the glory, and the career This film kind of rips your heart out and throws it on the floor.
0: Yeah. It's so sad, but so good. Yes. And it has a lot of layers to it. At its basic level, the man who shot Liberty Valance is a love story fraught with revenge, regret, honor, patriotism, and ideals. The surprise at your first viewing will be how you may side with Ransom Stoddard at the beginning of the film – But as the story unfolds, your heart breaks for Tom Donovan. The injustice of Hallie falling for ransom. Tom Tom was there first. (laughs) He had it all planned out. Well,
2: all right, Tom. What are you trying to tell me? I'm telling you that Hallie's
3: my girl. I'm building that brand new room and porch for her for when we get married.
2: Well, Tom, I guess everybody pretty much takes that for granted. Everybody except Hallie. Maybe you. Now that's a damn lie and you know it.
0: And I think it's interesting to debate where Hallie's head is at. I mean, even when we first meet her in Ransom's retelling, you can tell Tom is smitten by her, but she seems only semi-interested. You could argue that she aches for a bigger world of reading and civilization as she becomes entranced with Ransom school and vision of the future Shinbone. But when we meet the aged Hallie, it's apparent that she loves that town and yearns to move back to Shinbone. So who should she have married?
1: Well, I am team Don- Tom Donovan all the way.
0: Now, you folks all know that, well,
2: the the jail's only got one cell and the lock's broke and I sleep in it. I dang well should have known nothing would happen when you came in here. Now, go on, get out of here,
1: you big old fat water buffalo. Get out of here, we got work to do.
2: Allie, I ain't that yet. Well, go on, get out of the way, sit down.
0: Allie.
3: You know, you look... Mighty pretty when you get mad.
0: Yeah, but we can still discuss it. (laughs) No, I am No, no one else can have an opinion. (laughs) (laughs) And wasn't that perfectly decent of Tom to save Ransom from getting shot, even though it resulted in Hallie marrying Ransom instead? Tom becomes the hero, performing a service for Ransom that he can never repay.
1: And this is the level I watched the movie from.
0: (laughs) Just a straight lovely heartbreak heartbreaking tale (laughs) however some time ago i watched it with some friends as an adult and realized an aspect of tom and ransom's relationship i hadn't before i think before when i saw it i thought oh tom is being such a selfless guy for ransom saving his life like he's just so noble but it became apparent that tom donovan's hatred for ransom is only exceeded by his hatred of liberty valance he didn't shoot Liberty Valance on Ransom's behalf at all, but the standoff on the main street of Shinbone is actually the exact opportunity that Tom has been waiting for, for possibly years. You see, in the Wild West, there's still a semblance of law for the territories, but several hints and dialogue in the film show that there's a certain dance you must do in order to get away with being an outlaw. So, it, you know, you can still get hung for bad things, but you can still get away with bad things if you just know how to do it
3: now i wonder what scared him off
2: you know what scared him the spectacle of law and order here rising up out of the gravy and the mashed potatoes all, <laughs> right, all, right, all right all right you made your point it was the gun that scared him off poppy's gun your gun tom what right do you have to interfere it was me he tripped my stake. and you would have killed him for it or he would have killed you over
0: one measly steak Tom Donovan knows it and Liberty Valance knows it. For example, Valance commits his crimes either away from town jurisdiction or under the cover of night. Not because he wants people to believe he's innocent because no one believes that, but because legally he wants to remain untouchable. I never thought that Liberty
1: Valance had any method to his madness because he's such a creep, but it totally makes sense. And it makes this movie more interesting to watch for sure. And I also, I, I always kind of viewed Tom and Ransom's relationship as Tom feeling like he needed to be protective of Ransom because he was this a weak younger guy. brother didn't belong there. Yeah, yeah, but he was kind of a bit of a pest. But you, you know, he'd give his life for him, kind of a thing.
0: And that's definitely a way to watch it with that kind of relationship between Tom and Ransom, and it's totally legitimate. But I have some support for this other way of watching it that I think is really interesting. So, Liberty and Tom are arch-nemeses, and though one would love to kill the other, they can't manage it without being hanged. So, they just try to get under each other's skin and wait until one of them makes a mistake. For example, in the stake scene, Liberty turns and feigns a grab toward his gun as he's leaving, and Tom replies, just try, Liberty, just try. And Liberty... He doesn't touch his gun. And Liberty, angered, walks off in a huff. And I always thought that Tom was goading him and letting him know he's a faster draw than Liberty. So go ahead and Mm -hmm. draw and he'll shoot him. And Liberty would definitely die in a shootout, which it would appear that Liberty agrees. However, what I think is really happening is Liberty is faking a draw so that Tom will react and draw his gun, then get in trouble for instigating the violence. Yeah. And And if Tom drew first, then Liberty could be a close second and kill Tom if he hesitated. And it would be technically Mm self-defense. Besides, Liberty would never commit a crime in front of all those witnesses. He would never draw his gun and, and kill Tom in front of everybody. But Tom is still smarter than Liberty and doesn't go for it and won't play his games. And he even advises Ransom later on to watch out for Liberty's tricks.
3: You better start packing a handgun. A gun? I I don't
2: want a gun. I don't want a gun. I don't want to kill him. I want to put him in jail. Oh.
3: Well, I know those law books mean a lot to you, but not out here. Out here, a man settles his own problems.
0: Tom's supposed absence from the standoff between Ransom and Liberty was deliberate. Tom knew that Liberty would never openly challenge him because he was the superior marksman. And Tom could never shoot Liberty, even if he deserved it, because he'd hang for killing him. He's sort of waiting for the right moment. And funny, that's actually his attitude toward making his move on Hallie. It was summed up in a similar way.
3: Mighty nice girl, that Hallie. Mighty pretty. I agree with you, sir. Just told her so. What? Do I hear wedding bells? When can I print the story? Don't rush me, Mr. Editor. Don't rush me.
1: He's very calculating, and that makes him even more likable as a character. I'm talking about Tom right here. um, And also as a potential love interest for Hallie, too, because she's drawn to ransom partially because he is an intellectual but tom is very clever too although he has more like street smarts and book smarts and when you're looking at it on the surface level Hallie chooses brains over brawn but actually tom and had brawn and brains too and this is why it, i have another reason to be te- team tom donovan
0: well, I'm going to give you a few more reasons to be Team Jonathan as we go on. Still, we're sticking to this this plot though. With this level of viewing, no one is the hero. Ransom and Tom become allies by necessity, which is never explicitly said. But the hatred of this relationship that Tom just absolutely sees with is apparent during the election. Tom needed ransom. So that he wouldn't hang for murder and Ransom needed Tom to win the election and bring about the law and order he stood for and defended and could have easily died for. And Ransom very likely thought he would lose Hallie if she found out what really happened early on in their relationship. Tom the murderer is stuck with his life in the hands of a man he loathes and ruins his future and Ransom seems to have it all. Political career, friends... And popularity and the girl, but it all hinges on his bravery standing up to Liberty Valance, which he didn't do. So this is another way to watch it. And it's just as heartbreaking. Even more heartbreaking. Yeah. Are you crying over there? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But believe it or not, there is a final way of watching the film, which is, you know, just goes to show what a genius John Ford, the director, was. There's a lot of ways to take his movies. Such a jerk with horrible hygiene and serious issues, but still what a filmmaker he was. Okay, so wait, I know he's a jerk, but is there a story behind the bad hygiene? Um, from what I remember, just never bathed and but also <laughs> on this set in particular, he had a a poop bucket. <laughs> Cuz he didn't go anywhere. He didn't go anywhere assigned to him to use uh to go number two he would just go kind of so anywhere yeah,
1: they weren't even filming on location so you would yeah. think that there's
0: probably a bathroom be a problem. <laughs> right really gross just uh, owned it really owned the grossness <laughs> <laughs> uh, before i jump ch- into it <laughs> yeah Before I tell this version of the story, I think a few facts about Ford need to be laid out. First, he was known for doing a lot of Western films on location and heavily romanticized versions of the settling of the West. Tough, heroic cowboys, beautiful damsels, gunfights, etc. But John Ford was getting older by the time he directed The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, and plenty of people may note of the differences in this one. I think at the time they chalked it up to his growing list of eccentricities, see poop bucket, and pronounced, (laughs) and just his pronounced arrogance, which has always been the case. He wasn't above playing all kinds of horrible mind games with people to get a certain reaction. He had a list, and you didn't want to make the list. Yeah. (laughs) We didn't really go into this, I don't think, when we talked about his other famous film with Maureen O'Hara in it, The Quiet Man. But he and O'Hara were friends, sort of? She <laughs> Maybe one-sided? Yeah, she's, she never really knew where she stood with him. He'd invite her to dinner and on his boat with his wife and kids, and he'd visited her parents in Ireland several times just to chat about being Irish. And they talked about making the quiet man for years, but he also completely randomly punched her in the face at a party. Cool. Yeah. (laughs) Publicly humiliated her a lot and gave her the silent treatment and spread false rumors about her. basically like a middle school girl. (laughs) Right. Yes. But with a guy like John Ford, who can make or break you, it was all part and parcel to the genius that he was, I guess. Months leading up to The Quiet Man, he and Maureen had sort of a father-daughter type relationship. It was at its best, chummy. But at that time, he began writing her love letters. Full of lines that suggested he was completely besotted with passion for her. The letters didn't seem to be on his mind if they ever met in person, though. Like they, And he was a
1: lot older than her, right?
0: A lot older, super married, and... It was like they hadn't even existed. And at first, she thought, he's clearly drunk letter writing, the ancestor of drunk dialing. But (laughs) they- a little more effort. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you've got to put a stamp on it and put it in. That seems really advanced. But they kept coming and coming, getting more uncomfortable to read. So, you know, just one would have been like, okay, whatever. But they kept on coming. And it's funny that it didn't really cross her mind all this time that he was in love for with her for real. <laughs> mm-hmm. She she finally concluded he was just messing with her for her upcoming role in The Quiet Man. He wanted to get a certain reaction from her. And he was a director. But he sort of got into character before his films. So whatever that character he decided the- would be. I'm not really sure. yeah
1: (laughs) (laughs) like like is he supposed to be john wayne
0: (laughs) it was a romantic movie so i think he was trying to be swept away in some sort of romance like and she was the object of john wayne's affection i don't know honestly maybe no one does although it was it, it, it and it was more calculated and menacing than artistic and he just kept sending her letters sporadically after the film had even wrapped so He's just indisputably a really awful person.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You've convinced me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He was also a huge bully throughout the whole film of the man who shot Liberty Valance. And it surprised me that this time the main target of his bullying was John Wayne because they had worked together on a lot of films and Ford was in a way responsible for his rise to fame. But Throughout shooting, Ford would constantly bully Wayne about his avoidance of serving in World War II. And instead of joining the military, Wayne had made a bunch of uh, war documentaries and made money off of the war, essentially, is what Ford was saying. He tried to pit him against Stuart, who was actually a war hero. And we did talk about that in a different episode earlier. And... It really seems unfair and just as to my personal dislike of Ford, but I wonder if it was him purely being like a huge jerk or if he was trying to be manipulative like he was with Maureen O'Hara for some reason. I'm not really sure why.
0: Yeah. And actually, it's funny. Lee Marvin, the actor who plays uh, Liberty Valance, so good at being bad. Um, Apparently, he was able to avoid Good at What he
1: does. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) He was able to. Avoid the list, he said, because when he first met him on the set, he stood up and, like, saluted him and was, like, basically (laughs) made him feel, I don't know, superior in some way. And that kept him off the list, at least for the duration of that movie. What does this have to do with the man who shot Liberty Balance? Well, firstly, there were the odd choices he made. It wasn't shot on location, but on a lot. Unusual for him. The sets were hurriedly thrown together as if overnight. It was black and white which it really didn't have to be by the early 60s.
1: Yeah, a lot of people were confused by the choice of black and white. And there is a little bit of speculation. Ford was known for thinking that black and white was better photography, more artistic than color. He felt that color was just too obvious. But in black and white, you have to consider more layers of like lighting and things. But um, he thought that, The shooting scene between Ransom and Liberty just wouldn't have been as effective in color. Others say it was to disguise how old Wayne and Stewart were because they were both in their mid-50s during this film, but they were playing men who were supposed to be much younger. But the cinematographer William H. Clothier said that the real reason was only because Paramount was cutting costs, which is why he said they didn't film on location as well.
0: So there were a lot of rumors about um, extra- other rumors about the reasons for these things. But all in all, it he seemed sort of distracted and depressed through the whole thing, though that could just be normal John Ford. But it seemed as if the near obsessive attention to detail wasn't present with Ford with this film and the attitude sort of spread and nobody thought the film would amount to much. If Ford didn't believe in it, why should they? You may if you're observant note that through the that though the film is supposed to take place in Colorado there are rows of saguaro sloppily planted in heaps of dirt so not very realistic and the steaks and frying pans in Erickson's restaurant are massive they're, they're just they take they would take up a whole uh, stovetop today a modern stovetop today and they're served on giant platters with like 2 pounds of potatoes and entire pies <laughs> but, yeah. What does this all add up to? <laughs> is it sloppiness or is it deliberate decisions?
1: Yeah, maybe a little bit of both. Who knows?
0: So here's the next level of viewing. This is what I'm suggesting and others have suggested, the meta version, if you will. The whole story, if you can manage to remember, is Ransom's Memory. He comes back to Shinbone for a funeral, now a big fish in the country's political sphere. With a snap of his fingers, as the editor of the Shinbone Star says... He could be the next vice president of the United States. The frontier has now been civilized, and the legend of his killing someone, even an outlaw, maybe won't serve him well in coming years. So he tells, essentially, the legend behind the legend of who shot Liberty Valance to a reporter. But since it's his story from his flawed memory, there are details that are a bit sketchy and as hastily put together as the town's buildings. The settings, yes, but also the characters are exaggerated. Peabody, the intellectual, chronically drunk editor; the ridiculous and cowardly sh- sheriff; and dastardly, odious Liberty Valance, who takes a sick pleasure in exacting painful deaths with his silver handled whip, and his cronies that are caricatured sickos. One of one being all stoic business, and the other giggling stupidly as Liberty beats mm. people senseless. So obnoxious. <laughs> Ugh. Even with Hallie, the kitchen girl who longs to read and enlarge her mind, her character is neither confirmed or denied when we watch her outside the flashback. Older Hallie seems to really miss Shinbone and the people there. And thinking of this, thinking of it this way, my mind snaps to the point when Ransom asks her, "Who put the cactus rose on Tom's coffin?" And why does he ask this? He, he obviously knows they both have warm feelings for Tom, but maybe Hallie wasn't as head over feet head over heels for the life ransom offered her after all. Maybe she's simply putting the cactus rose on the one true part of the narrative. It becomes a more loaded question. And the scene when the conductor says, anything for the man who shot Liberty Valance, the look on their faces could be first level, basic level remorse and a reminder about the death of their friend, or the second way of viewing it, guilt about keeping a secret that seemed to benefit the two of them, Hallie and Ransom, more than Tom, or at the third level, vexation or irritation that even after telling the story to news- to the newspaper, they will never be separated from-, from what happened because legends never die. Sue Matheson, the author of the westerns and war films of John Ford, a book, was the one who enlightened me to this third interpretation of the film. And she seems convinced of it being the real purpose behind the film because of the political atmosphere surrounding Hollywood during the late 50s and early 60s. It's put into even more of a comparative light when she talks about John F. Kennedy making idealistic speeches about the virtues of the West, while hypocritically spinning his agenda and outright lying the next minute, one time notably saying, That members of the press owed a complete obligation to the people, an obligation to present the facts, to present them with candor, and to present them in perspective, and then immediately selling the public a bridge as he misrepresented the government's role in the Bay of Pigs. So when it comes to informing the public, as Mr. Scott, the editor, says, when fact becomes legend, print the legend. Whichever... (laughs) Whichever way you watch it, it is still a great story that is moving and thought-provoking. And you can watch them any of those three ways, and it's still still good. It's also hilarious and inspiring. And Lee Marvin is an absolute monster as Liberty Valance. Seriously, as funny as yes. some of the other characters can be, he's about as unfunny as you can get. Just despicable.
1: Yeah. I remember as a kid feeling like he was more of like a funny villain. Because his cronies were like giggling to the side. So I I think like as a kid, I just didn't understand like what I was supposed to be feeling (laughs) in those scenes. Right. But now watching it as an older person, it's so sadistic and creepy watching him take so much pleasure in hurting innocent people.
0: Yes, it's very gross. So did I rave sufficiently about this movie for you? (laughs) I could go on if you need me to. No, no, please don't. <laughs> <laughs> Next, <Just> month. <laughs> <laughs> Next month, we have another month-long theme for February. Want to tell us about this surprising theme for February, Lisa?
1: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this month because I am a sucker for classic romances. And in honor of Valentine's Day, of course, that's what we're going to be featuring, some of the most well-known classic romances. And one of them is my absolute favorite romance ever. And I've watched it more times than I could count. So this week, we covered Robin's favorite Western. And this next month, you'll have to stick around and find out which is my favorite romance of all time. Because I'm not going to give it away.
0: Good on you. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next week.
1: Bye. Bye.